My partner is walking by just super stoned, trying not to laugh, <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> That's always good energy. Yep. That's yep. always good energy. Me and me and my fiance were watching Boardwalk Empire, which is a great show. I really enjoy it. But we were just like a few episodes deep, and she was just like, I'm bored with this. And I was like, Yeah, I'm starting to get kind of tired of looking at uh crappy representations of the 1920s as well. Like <laughs> Yeah, it's um it's been difficult to find entertainment lately. Thankfully, I, I've never really spent much time reading theory, so that's kind of what has been my entertainment lately. Although nice. you as someone who also reads theory, it you know that sometimes that is not much entertainment. <laughs> No, it's not always super entertaining, but it can be relaxing. Like I've been doing this thing where uh, at the end of my shifts at work, because I'm a valet, so I spend, I have a lot of downtime. Uh, For the last hour or two of my shifts at work, I turn my laptop off and I pack everything up. And then I just read one of the many books that I've ordered that I am supposed to be reading, Uh, you know, for like 60 or 90 minutes or whatever. And it's been really good. It's been a good way to like, break through my reading list without and then also you know and then unwind at the end of what can sometimes be a pretty stressful day that's awesome i've also kind of been trying to force myself in my downtime to like like for example like when we smoke we have to smoke in like uh the bathroom because like there's a fan Um, oh right so like while i'm in there i'll take like the few minutes that i'm like packing and i'll like read and uh, in those like five to ten minutes, because I have a lot of uh, books downloaded on my phone, I'm uh-huh. able to get through quite a bit of like reading in that short amount of time. The only issue is, I mean, not for nothing. Um, one, I'm usually smoking. So like the amount that I retain isn't always, <laughs> you know, 100 percent. But at the same time, it's been enough to get me in the habit of reading. So now usually whenever I have the downtime. I do read theory and I think that I think so I hate I've I, like six to eight months ago. If you would have talked to me, I would have been like, yo, theory so fucking stupid like that. I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to read that. I, I definitely subscribe to like that's some old dead white guy shit. You know what I mean? Like right, definitely right. subscribe to that. But um, I don't know really what it was. I think it was. I read Washington Bullets by VJ Prashad. And okay. Our History is the Future by Nick Estes, which are two books that I will never stop talking about because those are two really good books. Um, but then I just like kind of really liked reading. So I was like, hey, as long as I'm reading, I might as well try to read the text that I'm supposed to read, as I call myself. Well, you know, <laughs> um, so <clears throat> and Mark's Madness, Rev Left, all those have been great sources. The Marxist Project, a bunch of uh-huh. different uh, like secondary teaching sources have really, really, really helped me get through shit. Um, I will admit, I still have yet to fully read through uh, Capital. Oh yeah, me neither. I mean, it'll be, I, probably be a long time before I sit down and do that. I did listen to and like really pay attention to because I wanted to really learn it and understand it. The Marx Madness series on it, and I think they did a great job. And oh, yeah. I feel like I, I understand a lot of the core concept theories. And then the Marxist Project also uh, has a lot of supplementary YouTube videos that I've watched to get a lot mm-hmm. of like the like the the theory of the tendency of the rate of profit to fall and like all that shit. That's a little bit more like in depth than I can get from just like reading. Sometimes, um, right? It, it's really useful. So that's been cool. So I've definitely yeah. evolved into a theory guy, but I, I do still hate and uh, will not subscribe to the, the narrative of like, if you don't read theory, you're not a real leftist. Well, no, but that that's like the whole thing, right? Like everybody's arguing about that on Twitter today because I think the guy from Jacobin said something about like, you don't, people shouldn't have to be an academic and have you know years of i don't even know what he said really i'm just reacting to people's reaction to it honestly (laughs) but he said something like you know uh theory is too academic and you can't expect the working class to actually read it and i'm like i think there's a i think there's a position where you don't like 
think that everyone has to read theory, but you also don't like sell people short of the idea that like, oh, they don't read it because they're like too stupid or whatever, right? Like you could disabuse yourself of that notion. Um, and like, you know, at the risk of sounding like a centrist, like theory is just like, it's whatever you use it for that matters. If It's whatever you have an interest in. Like, and most people, when they're talking about theory, won't even be talking about the same thing, right? Like I posted about reading primary texts and only having a high school diploma today. And it's getting like retweeted by like Marxists who are like, see, you can read Capital and like Gregory B. Sadler, who's like, see, you can read Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit if you just believe in yourself. Uh, No one should read that. No one should read that. (laughs) No one should read the phenomenology. That's 100 percent true. Uh, In fact, if you if you know, if you've heard the author's last name before, throw it in the trash. Yep. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I. I don't like so I mean obviously and it's really cool because um to 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 jump into like just a brief little aside I have another episode coming up in a little bit with uh Jay Malfoyad Paul. Um, oh cool. Yeah and so yeah. I want to I'm going to bring up with him kind of like this discussion but I just wanted to plug that real quick to the two people who listen so they can google <laughs> who he is and uh read some of his stuff before the episode but um i really don't like obviously you know i i i was friendly with and and actually joined into one uh trotsky trotskyist meeting with the imt uh, okay and uh so that side of like theory is essential is like very toxic especially considering that they cherry pick their theory very 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 uh specifically not generally trotskyist but you know whatever oh no i know the imt well like at the risk of being the guy who's like oh yeah that faction of leftists like i've had (laughs) plenty of people who are like i don't have any personal experience with the imt but plenty of people i know who've had experience with them are like yeah they're kind of culty or like maybe more like um they're like rise and grind leftists a little bit like they're all trying to get each other to like grind the marxism a little harder which i is such like a weird weirdly kind of internalized productivist attitude and i would like you know i'm not gonna i'm not prepared to talk a ton of shit on them or anything but i could never survive in an organization like that like not a fucking chance my i just have the exact wrong fucking personality for it yeah, and I definitely didn't enjoy that, like, I would, I mean, this is kind of uh, the um, stigma for Trotskyists, but, like, once a week, I would get an email, like, hey, you coming to the meeting? And, like, it would always be, like, how are the newspaper sales going? And it's, like, they spent all this time also discussing, like, I, I, I'm I'm not going to talk about who it is, but I was discussing with the person, you know, who got me into the the org and wanted, you know, me to join up uh, uh-huh. about like, uh, you know, the Russian Revolution and stuff like that. And then, you know, of course, he's uh, anti-state capitalism, as he calls it, and everything right. since the death of Lenin. Um and I, I asked him, I was like, why the hell are we talking about 1917 Russia right now? Because I was trying to bring up to him the fact that, like, I posted a TikTok that got 22,000 views when I said, like, uh, have you, this was back when India, the general strike first started there with the farmers. Right. right. Um, I had posted, like, that. that's the energy that the United States has to take. And I had actually said, you know, because I was a little bit more ignorant back then and I had read a little too much theory without actually looking into the world. And I was like, you know, we got to have a general strike. I got 22,000 views on that. And so I yeah. brought up to him like there is a genuine frustration in the people of this country that could be sparked if if, you know, something was organized in some kind of, you know, intelligent <laughs> way. Obviously, that's not going to happen today right, well. or this year. But, like, I was basically bringing up to him that, like, the whole point of, like, just constantly studying the 1917 Russian Revolution isn't going to help change the material conditions that people are facing today. 
Right. Well, no, I mean, we should know our history, right? Because the present day doesn't come from nowhere. But trying to becoming so like fetishistically like attracted to these these romanticized periods of revolutionary history or just history in general, what have you. Uh, I think it's equally counterproductive as not knowing your history, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you need to know your history, but you also need to work in the present moment. It, it, there's, there's not going to be some magical guy from 150 years ago or 100 years ago or 50 years ago or whatever who made all the right decisions and whose every move should be emulated exactly because if that person had existed, we would have had a successful global communist revolution already, right? Like we would no longer be living in Marx's prehistory. So right. like and I think there's there's something really salient about the the idea that like you know a TikTok where you're just saying like oh look India had a, is having a general strike what we really needed in the US is a general strike and that kind of like uh I guess you would say like theoretically unrefined instinct is way more tangible and visceral to people than some trot or some Marxist Leninist or some anarcho communist being like, you absolutely must read Gramsci. You absolutely must read Enrico <laughs> Malatesta. You absolutely, you know, I don't think that that helps anybody necessarily. So, uh, yeah, it's like, if you want to have a reading group with your buds, if you want to encourage each other to read and stuff, that's awesome. But like, if you want to be a fucking dumb jock about it and like, turn it into yep. this like fucking competition, that's, that's just fucking ridiculous. But then there's also, I think, that spark of like of like yes we need to do something and like yes there is kind of like a a very embryonic proletarian consciousness uh, amongst people in the united states is like that's been tamped down so there's two forces at work here right like that's been kind of tamped down by the ruling class over a long time because they needed to suppress communism and socialist instincts and stuff like that you know mccarthyism all of the different eras uh uh relegating anarchism to being a, a joke commodity around the 80s and 90s like uh, there's a bunch of different things that they did uh and are still doing you know casting uh shitty cardboard cutouts of anarchists as villains in marvel movies um but then there's also the effect that like the american socialist instincts have never been well articulated by the time that shit was popular enough over here, like workers' movements in like the 20s through the 40s, it was already – I feel like Marxists in particular, but also anarchists, were, also working, were already working at that point with a very dusty kind of mechanistic uh, model of, of history and modernity that was still stuck around the time Marx died, even though by this point – Lenin was about to die or had already died, um, depending on what part of the twenties you're in. So it's, you know, I don't know. I feel like I was having this conversation with some people online today. (coughs) I think the biggest problem is, isn't that like, you know, Marx said this or Marx didn't say that or whatever. It's that nobody's done as much work on these problems as Marx has since Marx. Like in the whole right. like intervening hundred, like Gramsci's great, Lenin's great, whatever. Like there's a lot of really, really great writers, but like we need another Marx. You know, you know, like who nobody has really stepped into his shoes. And it doesn't have to be one person. It could be a movement, it could be a, a group of of people tackling these problems. Uh it could be something unexpectedly unacademic. You know, I don't know, but I I know we need it really bad because it's it's not that like we've outgrown marxism at all i really think that that's absolutely not the case i think it's more like marxism we've left it behind right we haven't Mm -hmm. been updating it we haven't been applying patch notes to it and we we certainly haven't been trying to reassess the 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 foundational principles and critiques that that Marx was interested in in a modern context like that just simply hasn't happened. Instead, we have a hundred and fifty thousand books by dusty old college professors reading way too far into one or two capital or one or two chapters of Capital or the Grundrisse or something. And not that that's not valuable in its own, you know, very esoterically certainly hasn't kind of changed Marxist. anything. Right, but it's almost like it's almost like we've disrespected Marx a bit. <laughs> Right, because what Marx wanted to do was to bring the philosophical back into the practical, and I feel like, especially in the case of academic Marxism, we've really brought the practical back into the realm of the abstract. 
Um, and maybe, you know, certainly I think Slavoj Zizek is quite happy about that, but I don't know if I am necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely have a lot to say on this. So with the, the, the Marxism kind of getting left behind, that's the, that's the odd thing about contradictions is they don't exactly go away. And so no, the, yeah. the underlying causes that led to Marx doing what Marx did, um, you know, the material conditions that Marx studied still exist today because we have not addressed them. We have not, you know, combated them. And to do with the uh, kind of like the lack of, you know, any real semblance of like Marxism in America, like like organic, like re- uh, reproduction of Marxism in, in the modern day. I I read the A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn and a point that he makes throughout the book that is incredible uh to really kind of contextualize is the understanding of really the 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 role that the middle class serves and I don't right. mean the middle class as we conceptualize it as like the suburban you know uh white middle class that we know of today but I mean uh-huh. genuinely the class in between the ruling class and the working class because you know what we know is america and other uh colonial empires were so insanely rich because they developed out of absolutism and they were right. the the you know the heirs of that wealth and of that power they had so much wealth and so much power to you know incrementally give to small factions within the, you know, the lower classes in order to either one, pin them against each other, you know, prop, say, white people up, poor white people up so that they oppose black folks or prop, you know, I don't I don't know, um, certain uh, religions up and then leave the rest, you know, to be poor. Um, they're, oh, yeah. they're able to do that in a way that then sows division. And on top of that, it also kind of brings a lot of that middle class along for the ride with the the uh, ruling class's rhetoric and the ruling class's interest. Even though that you know all the folks who watch Fox News from their rundown trailer or even from their three floor you know suburban home, like those folks who listen to Donald Trump or listen to Joe Biden when they say that, you know, they're a member of the people and take that into heart and think that anything that the United States government does is for the interest of them are fooled by this little incremental wealth that the United States was able to grant them because they're so insanely rich. Oh yeah. And we, and the rest of the Western world and the rest of the ruling classes of the rest West of the you know, capitalist world, we do that with nations as well. It's kind of like people are always asking, I think, why can't we just at least get to the Scandinavian model? Why can't we at least just get as good as Norway or God help us even Canada? And it's like, because the economic conditions that created those countries the way we know them now simply cannot exist for the United States. We are the imperial core. They are the imperial fringe. They do the soft imperialism where they piggyback on our military and and all of the stuff that we're doing. And they just do like, they cut deals on top of it. You know, it's like that money doesn't come from nowhere. It's still exploitative. Like a lot of you know what you'd think of as like social democratic European nations in uh in like like for instance the netherlands the dutch invented finance like that's where their fucking money came from that in <laughs> yep. the east indies trading company like so you know just because you didn't have an empire or something doesn't mean that like oh your your wealth your your well-oiled society just sprang up magically out of nowhere <laughs> like there are material explanations for all of this they did and they do still have an empire because the Dutch were, you know, some of the founding fathers, you know, love to use that term out, out of context mm-hmm. um, of colonialism. And on top of that, they still the, the wealth that the Netherlands exists on in that area is still an oppression and exploitation of the global south. Oh, absolutely. they just happen to give some of it to the people. The United States yeah. doesn't. That's the only difference. And the, the the only separation is the faces of the ruling class. And that's kind of that has to go along with Marx's kind of take on like, 
asking for golden chains, gold plated chains, because like we still don't have any power. We might be richer. We might be able to afford more meals or a nicer home or a new phone. But the separation between those of us who have the power to be in control of our own lives, have agency over our own lives, and not have to worry about having, you know, medical expenses. Am I going to have food on my, you know, table tonight? The distinction between those of us who have that sanctity and those of us who have to work every day just to have a day's worth of that sanity, like, right. that, it's so wide and so expansive that nothing can be done nothing can be just granted and handed out that's going to change that right yeah i mean there's there's not gonna ever be like a magic number right like everybody's big on the like joe biden knows me two thousand dollars thing right now it's <laughs> like one you are not ever getting that make as big of a stink as you want two thousand yeah, dollar no. checks are the new here's how bernie can still win it it's <laughs> kind of sad that you're still hung up on that and then two it's like $2,000, if there was a number, <laughs> if there it's was a number 2, that would fix everything, it would be way, way more than $2,000. And there is no number that will fix everything because no matter what the number is, it's not going to go to everybody. It's not going to go to everybody who fucking needs it. It's not going to go to undocumented immigrants. It's not going to go to people in ICE detention camps. It's probably not going to go to prisoners. You know, it's going to be fucking means tested and bureaucratized and and regulated. And not that like like necessarily bureaucratizing or regulating something is bad, but it's just like when you let the U S government do it, it's like, yeah, it's going to turn out piss poor. It's going to turn into like a a way to line the pockets of the rich somehow, even they would, they like, that was probably, that was really what Andrew Yang was, right? Like it was Uh a, it was an upward transfer of wealth marketed as a downward transfer of wealth. We'll give you all UBI. So you can buy more toasters and TVs and Ford trucks and all that shit. And like, we don't forget V bucks and V bucks. Oh God. V bucks. My favorite cryptocurrency. Do you see how many <laughs> Doge coins a V buck is worth now? My God. I pepeed so hard when I saw that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. I, um, it's unfortunate because I mean, not for nothing, people still need that money. And that's kind of like something I've been dealing with. Cause I post on TikTok now and I get not for nothing. I get on average like 300 views, which is pretty cool. I don't get many likes or comments. um, But like I've noticed that TikTok is genuinely a space for leftist conversation. I don't know if it's a space for the leftist leftist thought, um, but it's definitely a conversation for at least or a a place for conversation. Um, And I, uh, I posted a while back basically what I just said about the golden chains uh, and somebody commented like, Oh cool. I'll tell that to all the people who are dying of COVID. And it's like, you do you think that, and I hate to be this person because this is a fucking terribly uh, confronting take, but they'll still die of COVID. Whether they have 2000 more dollars in their bank account or not, the only difference is that's 2000 more dollars that the hospital can take from them. Right. And then 2000 more dollars that they can charge the next of kin for those medical bills. Because yeah, it's, it's like not the problems like, are structural, right? Like they're, and, and they're, they're various in their structures. There is no one like situation that everybody's in right now. Like some people, $2,000 might be enough to not get evicted or whatever, like, yeah, obviously it will help some people, but you're absolutely right. To somebody who is in the ICU, uh, who is potentially going to die of COVID in the next few days, like $2,000 is absolutely not going to fucking save their life. Like adequate medical infrastructure would save their life. (laughs) And that is, if you think $2,000 is not on the table, adequate medical infrastructure is absolutely (laughs) fucking lutely not on the table. And that's the thing is it's like, okay, I mean, you you said earlier the $2,000, where's the $2,000 is like the next year's how Bernie can win. It, I first, first and foremost, I haven't heard a goddamn thing about Bernie, AOC, or anything in like the last three or four months that gives me any kind of like um, real like upset feelings about the fact that Bernie isn't president 
or like that AOC couldn't have been president because I see a lot of folks on the left who like that's that's who they're waiting for is like AOC or like someone from the squad (laughs) is going to run. Yeah. So the real question is, I mean, obviously, and maybe this isn't obvious, but I, I do think that we are eventually going to hit a breaking point for global capitalism. I just think that like maybe previous conceptions of capitalism kind of didn't anticipate the, the global scale that its productive levels would like rise to before its contradictions became too heavy to bear. But I think with everything now, it's either it's becoming obvious that like either there's going to be a break or capitalism is just going to be the death spiral of the world. Right. Like those are the only two options at this point. Climate catastrophe, you know, one. Uh, But even without that, like the way that we're industrializing, like I think it's pretty obvious that that's going to happen. And the real question for me is like, what kind of timescale are we on? What kind of what kind of length of life can we really attribute to capitalism in the face of its contradictions? Like, is it going to be like, um, maybe to use a crass analogy, but is it going to be like the stage five, like cancer patient who refuses treatment and still inexplicably hangs on for like another 10 years or whatever, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, so like my, my question that I think of a lot is like, a lot of people like to pronounce that we are like 19, this is 1917. This is it. This is the revolutionary moment. Things are about to kick off. And I've said this on a few shows now at this point, but if you look at the Russian revolution, it really feels a lot more like 1905, doesn't it? Like fits and spurts, some revolutionary energy, uh, big pushes to organize, but also a lot of pushback, heavy consolidations of power and token uh, token, you know, concessions from the ruling class. Like the czar was supposed to recognize the Duma, right? Like the, the parliamentary mm-hmm. body or whatever. And every time Biden or his cabinet or this whole wave of Democrats doing things right now, uh, every time they do something that feels really, really symbolic, I just look at it and I'm like, Duma, that's the Duma. They're doing the Duma right now. They're doing the thing where it's like things will get better. We promise we will we will hand some of our power over to some smaller organizations. We will make it a little more diffuse. We will add a little bit more democracy back into the mix. And then they just do not follow through on any of that, like period, at all for a long time. And in industrial slash pretty still pretty much pre-industrial Russia. That took about like, you know, 1905 to 1917. That's what, 12 years to boil over? You know, I, yeah, 12 years isn't that long, really. But also, and, and it might not take that long with the internet and everything, but I have to ask my friends who are communists. I, you know, I have to ask them, I'm like, hey, if the revolution doesn't happen now, but it happens when you're in your late 40s, are you, are you still going to be ready for it? You know, are, are we going to be in the situation to carry something out? I don't know how how practically useful of a question it is, but I think that it. it I, th- I think it it's be an incredibly practically useful one because I think it's a question that eventually we're going to have to ask ourselves, and there is a period of time where we can answer it and make that answer a reality, and there's a period of time where the answer is going to be decided for us. That's true. Um, so I think I think to answer your question, I, I have a, a three threefold answer. First and foremost, I'd say it's 1905 Russia combined with early 1900s German social democrat types. Sure, Um, sure. I think that the majority of our left in any electoral, parliamentary, any kind of government space um, is extremely opportunist, is extremely apologist, and is extremely uh, petty bourgeois, whether they are actively you know, participating in being a member of that class or if that's just where their interests now lie. I think it's impossible to participate in that that realm, in that space, without that happening. Yeah, um, I mean, we're seeing it happen that, to AOC in what real time. To small businessmen, you know, and be, business people who, you know, own small businesses and then become a member of the capitalist class. Yeah, I mean, um, we're seeing it happen to AOC in real time, like right before yeah. our very eyes, she's getting Nancy Pelosi fine, like with every passing week. 
And like, I don't know. Definitely. I, well, there, well, a little bit of a tangent, maybe. Vibes. Yeah, girl boss. But a little bit of a tangent, too. Like, I see this happen in my own life, right? Like, in my personal life, I see how easy it is to forget class roots because, like, I grew up very poor. Like, I lived in a trailer till I was nine that my parents were only even able to afford with help from each set of their parents. And then when I was a teenager, you know, my mom married a... I wouldn't say ruling class by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly a, a moderately wealthy business owner, you know, like somebody who, who doesn't want for anything. Uh, and, you know, not to talk too much shit on my family, but over the last, you know, decade and a half, two decades that there's been a lot of upward mobility, especially for my parents, um, <laughs> their ability to fathom working class pain has completely fucking evaporated. Like it's just poof gone. It's not a concern anymore. And they don't mean to be that way, I think, in a lot of cases. But, like, you know, I I explain a struggle that I'm having at my, like, fucking, you know, $11 an hour valet job. And they're just like, oh, you know, oh, that sucks. I don't really know what to tell you. You know, things go on. And it's like, you know, and I have real concerns out here. Like, I'm working in front of a hospital valeting cars for people who might be lying to me about not having COVID symptoms. Like, this is some real shit. Um, yeah. And it's just like, you know, if you think that doesn't happen when you get a fucking managerial job or, heaven forbid, admitted to the U.S. Senate uh, or the uh, House of Representatives, like, then you're just deluding yourself. That's absolutely 100% what happens. And that's why we have to remain principled. So, uh, you know, we're talking about theory earlier, and I know that, you know, we said theory is definitely not like, for everyone and it, it's very difficult but if you look at the 1905 revolution if you look at the german social democrats they did not have a understood uh theory they did not have any conceptions that were going to help lead them to success right and i always say or i have been saying for a while now that like there's a way that we can face these problems that's going to fix them. And there's a way that we can face these problems that's going to mitigate their symptoms. But like right. you said earlier, we are at a point where we have a real timeline on our hands where socialism versus barbarism is no more. Now it's socialism or death in a yeah. lot of cases for a lot of people. And so talking about JMP also earlier, um, a way that we can really say what our timeline is on has a lot to do with what concrete steps we all take in our own individual lives, in our own in individual spaces, in order to make the communism a necessity. So he writes a book, JMP, called The Communist Necessity, where he basically talks about the failures of a lot of different, you know, movements like Occupy Wall Street or the 1999 WTO Seattle protest like and although those movements just like the 1905 revolution had that revolutionary fervor had that that spirit of change they were not led with an instruction manual that was going to get them to a successful path now that has a lot to do with how history develops you know we can't expect that when some of us are ready, everyone is going to be ready for that moment. Right. And so that's why from 1905 to 1917, while in exile, Lenin continuously wrote to the parties in Germany, in Italy, in yep. Russia, in France, all over the place. A lot of which didn't get to those parties until 30 or 40 years later because they were pigeonholed. But he was he was pointing out that... The, you know, Marx and Engels took concrete and, you know, materialist analysis to the problems that those people were still facing to that day and gave them a lot of the answers that they still were searching for. But right. they were right there in front of their face. And I think a lot of the left is doing that today. So I would agree with you saying that it's like 1905 Russia. And to my point about saying like, our timeline is dependent on what we each individually do in our own lives. My own reading theory has gotten me to a place where I can understand these things to, you know, say this, but not everybody has that time. And so those of us who do, or those of us who have the interest, 
ought to be doing that and ought to be taking that knowledge and giving it to those who have interest in it in any way that we can. Yes. Um, Leftist Unification Party has been a great source of doing that. YouTube, our podcasts are a great source of doing that. And, you know, to each according to their ability, we only each have a certain ability right now. I can't pick up a gun and walk into the middle of my city and go, okay, guys, let's go have a revolution. Like, that's not going to do anything. But neither is sitting in my room and reading theory. No. You know? Well, I mean, that's the so, thing. Like, if if you have a skill, like if you're technically like skilled at reading and analyzing theory and like disseminating those ideas, or if you are good enough at that, but you also happen to be like a pretty entertaining person, like a big thing that the fucking the actual left, not the liberal left, whatever bullshit right. that is, but like the actual left needs right now is like the political version of like science communicators and like education communicators, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what Marx and like Lenin were doing. They were trying to take their incredibly archaic, like not archaic, but like incredibly academic, like very, very like systematized ideas and distill them down into something that at the time, barely literate peasants could understand and could help each other understand. And you know, I'm not saying that like, and obviously they weren't like barely literate through any fault of their own. It was just their circumstances. But like, that's Correct. the thing. Like, not everybody has the circumstances to dissect and understand revolutionary theory. So those of us who have the fucking time or the inclination, my God, should fucking do it. Like, that's you mentioned Mark's Madness earlier on the show, and that's one of the shows that I have the utmost respect for, honestly, because they they cover a lot of material that you know I might have time to read. But like, for me, it's just that like. I like reading, but I there's time to read and there's time to listen to podcasts. And so mm-hmm. some books, if there's a podcast series that goes really in-depth on a book, I won't read it. I'll just listen to the podcast and save my reading time for a book that doesn't have a podcast explaining it. The outreach thing is the biggest thing right now because it's we are in a we are in an it's almost like an interrevolutionary period, right? Like it's not like we had a revolution. No. But there were a lot of fits and starts, revolutionary sparks here and there, little bits of energy, uh, you know, organizations coalescing and disbanding or becoming corrupted or failing to achieve their original goal or whatever, you know, and like, we, we can't be discouraged by that. That's the fucking dialectic. That's things evolving. That's things changing because of their, you know, contradictory relationships within themselves and with their outside world. Uh, you know, that's that's the internal dialectic and the external uh, synthetic method, I, I guess. So the thing that's commonly described as dialectics, even though it's not the same thing. Change goes from quantity to quality. We are building the quantity now. And you are right. We can't be discouraged because not for nothing, as we're talking about, the the end goal if we are to be discouraged is is legitimately death for billions of people yes. over a you know a slow and awful course of time but equally still um and so in these centers of capitalism um we have to be you know as vigilant as we can be and now that doesn't mean you know the rise and grind like we're talking about trotskyists like if you're not at every fucking meeting like you're not a real marxist you're not a real leftist like no obviously we're all human beings um take the time to take care of yourself especially during this pandemic um but also like you said if you if you have the time if you have the ability like you're right shout out to marx madness shout out to red menace shout out to revolutionary left yep. a yep. lot of different um, I, the Red Nation. I could talk about a million different ones that yeah. really dive into theory and really dive into like true working class perspectives in a way that a lot of us can't do just simply due to circumstances. But you and I are able to sit here and you know record this show and post this on social media. Lenin had to write letters from uh, I don't Switzerland. Even yeah, yeah. He had to write letters in hopes that they got to the parties in time before, you know, a lot of his comrades were killed. A lot more of them were imprisoned or sent into Mm -hmm. exile themselves. And he watched as, 
Germany devolved into opportunism and Kautsky and um, all them kind of took over the, the communist party there and really, you know, opportunism is a hard thing for a lot of people to understand, but it goes, it goes along with that, you know, small business owners joining in with capitalist interests. It's very easy in a lot of ways uh, for comfortability to breed uh, stability and to breed uh, passive passivity. I don't know. Yeah. Passivity. Yeah. yeah, To to be a pacifist. Go ahead. I think that really raises an interesting point, which is like there's a, there is a lot of mismanagement and there is a lot of opportunism. And you see this in the in the ever cycling milieu of like minor Twitter leftist celebrities. You know what I'm talking about? Like mm-hmm. somebody who just like shit posts the same thing all the time or like is really hot or like whatever. And like, you know, I'm not saying that those are bad things or that you shouldn't use those to to get yourself followers. Like, I don't give a shit. But like then everybody wants to 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 be like oh this is the person we stand this is the person that we let. and then there's like some drama and then there's this like cycle of people being like oh i don't know my take on this person and then they're like the main character on twitter for a while and it's like just fucking disabuse yourself of all that shit like if you're entertained yeah. by somebody's posts like whatever i don't care but like if you're going to be doing serious politics you need to just not fucking worry about that shit like it is so incredibly inconsequential because here's the thing any genuine effort to develop revolutionary spirit, revolutionary energy, whatever you want to call it, is going to come with wreckers and opportunists. It's built in. It's fucking baked in. Not even just from the like empire angle. Not even just from the fact that, like, oh, yes, you're doing this inside of a capitalist, imperialist nation, and they're going to set this up to fuck with you. It's built into the internal dynamic of political tendency and ideology to do these kinds of things. So just fucking work around them. The Mm -hmm. capitalists are. The capitalists don't care. They have their priorities straight because their priorities are very simple. Money. So get your priorities straight. Revolution. You know, like, yes, there's a lot of things that go into the making of a revolution, but there's a lot of things that go into the making of money as well. Exactly. You can't still be single-minded about it. Yeah, we can't, again, to, to... The, the point that I like to make, you can't just pick up a gun and start a revolution, but you can hit up your buddy and say, hey, you want to start reading Capital with me? Or, hey, I heard this podcast, Mark's Madness, and you know you were talking about the fact that you want to read The Wretched of the Earth, but it's literally a thousand pages and you don't feel like <laughs> doing that. Here's Mark's Madness. Like I'm literally listening to that by Mark's Madness right now, mm-hmm. and it's probably going more in depth than I could on my own reading it. You know, well, and it's also like hearing people who live in the present day talk about something. You're not just getting a better, like you're not just getting an extra perspective on your understanding of the original text. But what you're also doing is you're generating new information by Mm -hmm. lensing marks through, even if you don't have, like, if I was doing a reading series, for instance, like, I don't have a super high opinion of myself as, like, some kind of scholarly figure or anything, but I know that if I do an original reading of Marx or, you know, fucking Max Stirner or... um, fucking Lenin or you know Friedrich Nietzsche or whoever I'm still going to generate new information and new ideas for people to think about and that's I think that's also what's really important is that like I the left the left is a little haunted by Marx we want to just re regenerate the same things that the old Marxists generated and the beauty in what the old Marxists generated wasn't that it was that thing but it was that it was that thing at that time, right? It was that it was new then, or it was a new formulation of old things that led to something new and important that created a breakthrough. So we can't just be parroting them. We have to be using the same kind of craftiness and the same kind of, I almost want to say, as much as people love to refer to themselves as orthodox Marxists, you know, unorthodox use of their tools to make breakthroughs, especially because mm-hmm. we live in the 21st century and, you know, I imagine if you're listening to this show, you you either live in the United States or in the wider English-speaking world. So it's like the situation is pretty fucking different than uh, you know eighteen what was it eighteen forties Germany or, or early nineteen hundreds Russia or you know when any of these guys were writing. So and 
I think to your point, two things. One, I think that the development in between, you know, you're talking about earlier 1905 to 1917 is only, you know, 12 years. Well, let's talk about the fact that the Communist Manifesto was written in 1848, and it wasn't until 1871 that any of that information was used for anything, you know, any kind of revolution. That's That's true, too. That's fucking some amount of years, 33, I think. Um, that's that's more years than I've been alive. That's exactly. longer than my life and, so far. And here's the thing. And I think that this is another sober truth that we have to face. The Paris Commune failed. The Russian Revolution failed. But does that mean we just go, okay, and just throw that shit aside? No. Obviously not. When do you do that in any other part of your life? If you fuck up making a batch of cookies, do you just go, okay, I'm not going to, you know, make cookies anymore. Never make cookies again. Yeah. It's like that thing in the Simpsons where like, I think Maggie was trapped in the bathroom and they tried to open the door with a, with a, like an unraveled coat hanger. And then they, they like give up. And then later Lisa just like lets Maggie out of the bathroom. And they were like, how did you let her out? And she's holding the coat hanger. She's like, why does this family only try things once? Uh, (laughs) and I always thought that was like so poignant, right? It's like, sure. Don't beat your head against the wall. Don't do the same thing a thousand times and like, you know, never, and, and and, like expected to just succeed without changing. Um, but like definitely fucking like, you know, make slight adjustments or give it another shot. Like those are absolutely reasonable positions to take. And how many times has, have we tried to have, uh, socialism? in the world like 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 socialism that was tolerated by pretty much everybody we've tried a bunch of times but you can also think of it as like a bunch of culminating attempts that's really like one long drawn out attempt over the last century it's you know, all the like, same and that's that's the so i i'm sorry to cut you off but i, I just want to make this point before it escapes me yeah yeah so one thing that jmp rev left and a bunch of other marxists like specifically Marxists, I say that because those podcasts are specifically Marxist, not yeah. because Marxists have the whatever. I just want to make that point clear. Um, they they make the point that like Marxism is evident in a lot of other things, like the you know dialectics is evident in nature and all these things, like action and reaction or mm-hmm. you know positive versus negatively charged ions like these are all things that that prove like the theory of contradictions and stuff like that within our our you know organic world um and something that i think is crazy is like we're talking about like oh we have all these different attempts of socialism but they're all just little you know flares and we have all these different attempts at you know, socialist leaders like Bernie Sanders or AOC, but they're all just little flares and they go out. And we have all these revolutionary movement moments in America, but they're all just flames and they all go out. Well, that's precisely what the 1905 revolution was. That's what Marx and Engels writing the Communist Manifesto was. Those were all flares. Those were all sparks. Yeah. And we can never know when that spark is going to catch. And unfortunately because of the period of time that we live in and because of capitalism's destruction of our one and only planet that we're ever going to be able to sustain life on. Sorry, Elon Musk stands. Um, <laughs> I like futurism, it, but it won't be cool until we get to do socialist futurism. And that's a ways well, off, it, I think. It, to go to f- futurist socialism from capitalism is like a million and one steps. You know, we can't yes. even get Bernie Sanders. So um, <laughs> we can't even keep the goddamn Salvador Allende's in charge. How are we supposed to do see, queer luxury gay space communism? <laughs> um, but like, it's true. And unfortunately, we are up against this wall. But I think that more than anything, that intense, like, I think one time, probably probably like six months ago, we were messaging on Facebook talking about like acceleration, accelerationism. Mm-hmm. And I, I basically was like, you know, you were t- telling me about some of the theories and I, I can't remember precisely what I said, but I, I've always taken the stance that, of course, like accelerationism is bad because, I mean, for whatever your take on that is, that means death, right? And we, we right. don't want that. Um, 
but I think that that accelerationism is happening. And um, oh to, yeah, to, it, that's the thing about accelerationism is like you read Nick Land or you read these other acceler like major kind of influences on accelerationism, and it's like their assessment of what capital does is 100% fucking correct. Like, it is absolutely no bones about it, exactly what is happening right now. And then you get to parts where they're like, Oh, we think you could actually augment this part of it, and like since since there's no there's no going back, there's only accelerating. You you just augment this speed and you augment this trajectory, and it's like I don't think that's the right idea at all. <laughs> I think we need I think we need a, a a twin hegemony of socialist acceleration, you know, and you know, not that China isn't trying, but like you know, we need something way more hegemonic than that, and like. I, I don't know. I, I think to the point of accelerationism and to the point also of like talking about all of these revolutions and revolutionary struggles as maybe not distinct instances of revolutionary fervor that just kind of because that makes them seem spontaneous and or maybe. No. You know, yeah, you're right. Good. Good, but, call. But we, good call. We, but we need like a better idea of what spontaneity is, too, because like spontaneity doesn't come from nowhere. Spontaneity is like this it's pent up energy it, that it was built. unpredictable. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't. That it, that it can't possibly ever be predicted. So it's almost like I mentioned Nietzsche once already, but in passing, but it's like, you know, we don't need a history of socialism. We need a genealogy of socialism. We need, we need to treat socialism for what it is, which is like this living organic body of ideological and practical thought and, and practical, you know, material changes and measures. And it, it's like this assemblage of all of these different things, both theoretical, material, practical, whatever. And if, and it, it's undergoing its own dialectical transformation all the time, whether it's in power, out of power, whatever part of the world you're in, you know, whatever. And I think that having that understanding might help us avoid a lot of the pitfalls that we've been talking about, you know, for the last hour, um, really help us avoid getting into this kind of stale mechanistic industrial revolution era, kind of like, I guess, misreading of Marxism is, would be the way I would describe it. Uh, or like, you know, this, this kind of like hopped up on the, the esoteric, um, you know, high of, of hyper-capitalism kind of accelerationist tip. Like, I think, I think we really need to be a little bit more feet on the ground than either of those and, 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 uh, and, and helping and, and thinking about socialism as this, like, as this living body of work, uh, would, would really be a strong step in the right direction for that. I think, you know, and to, to their credit, I think a lot of great socialist leaders have absolutely done this. You know, uh, the Cuban revolutionaries are one of the best examples of people who not only saw the, the global socialist struggle as their personal struggle and as something that they wanted to contribute to, but also I think really understood the way that socialism kind of ebbs and flows as this living thing that it is. And that is, like you keep saying, that's the dialectics, that's the evolution of these things. Mm -hmm. and you, were, you were right to point out that these things aren't spontaneous developments. They don't happen in a, a vacuum and out of nowhere. They're grown, right. they're cultivated, and they're organized. And like you said, we should be feet on the ground, you know, really, you know, doing this stuff. Because as, you know, a lot of different theorists have pointed out, Theory is only so good as it works in practice. And then that practice, which I would argue all socialist revolutions to this point have could could be classified as practice, those mm -hmm. practices are then, you know, taken back and lessons are learned, and we use that to influence our theory. That's why, you know, you have Marxism and then you have Marxism-Leninism, because there are those folks who believe that Leninism was what is described as a continuity and a rupture from Marxism. You know, they right. took the lessons that Marxism gave them, put them into practice, developed a new theory. Some would well, argue like, that Maoism... You know, much in the same way that Marxism was originally like a continuity and rupture of Hegelianism and uh, also, you know, a continuity and rupture of the utopian socialists that had come before him. A recontextualization and, and a resystematization of ideas. And I think... I think that's what we need now more than ever. You know, I kind of, I kind of made a slight at at Slavoj earlier for for saying that, like, for his concept that like now is not the time of action. Now is the time of 
philosophy. But in some ways, I think that that really couldn't be more true, right? Like the action is suspended from us forcefully, both by COVID and by so many other factors. Like you said, like I can't just go into downtown Pittsburgh with an AK and be like, it's revolution time, everybody. <laughs> Let's go. Better bring your mask. Right, exactly. Like that's just, that's simply not going to work. So in the intervening time, um, it wouldn't kill us to to pull a Marx or pull a Lenin and really fucking do our homework. And that means a lot of different things depending on who you are, but just do whatever your homework is, you know, no problem. Yeah. And I think that I don't think that action, I think that that is action. You know, I think that action doesn't necessarily mean going into the city and like organizing a union. I think action is, you know, fucking us, you know, recording this and and posting it or you know leftist unification party or whatever i think that our objective needs to be we were talking about it earlier we need to start building our base and i don't mean our base of like our political base i mean like our base of like people who are aware of the contradictions and the problems facing the world are aware of capitalism's you know, hegemony and its its introduction of and, you know, fanning the flame of these problems and the need for revolution. We yeah. need to start organizing folks who have that in mind into groups, into whatever you want to call them, whatever they need to be in order to, like you said, do their homework. And uh, an analogy I wanted to make earlier is <clears throat> I think that each socialist revolution, right, is like a piece of the puzzle. But more than just being a piece of the puzzle, I, I think I think there's two ways you can look at it. It's not a piece of the puzzle like they're all the same pieces, the same way that puzzle pieces aren't all the same. They're right. all like a piece of like a working machine, right? And in order to achieve what we call communism, stateless, classless society, we have to have all those pieces running at you know, socialism at communism. But to get there, each one of those pieces has to be assembled, right? And mm -hmm. here in America, we are a piece. And again, like we say, we can't have revolution tomorrow. But that doesn't mean that, say, you know, leftists or communist podcasts can't start like reaching out to one another and you know building bases of education that's something i've been thinking about and talking about a while why don't you know podcasts and youtube channels form some kind of coalition some kind of education outlet that truly does the political education that we need because capitalism you know here's here's an, another dialectics for you capitalism creates the tools that we need in order to liberate ourselves one oh, of those yeah. tools might be YouTube or podcasting in order to get information to those people who need it. Yeah, well, I mean, um, Lenin couldn't have written uh, his, you know, couldn't have had his works published without the capitalist, uh, you know, maybe not innov capitalist innovation, but capitalist um, popularization of the printing press, right? Mm -hmm. or, or like postal services or stuff. I mean, like even Marx is like, yeah, capitalism is like a developmental phase of a society. It was yeah, an advancement Mark from have feudalism. Without capitalism we, happening. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's the other interesting thing about Marx, right? Is like, I was lamenting earlier in the episode, oh, why don't we have a modern Marx? But Marx was at a privileged position in history to notice these things. The very birth of the Industrial Revolution, really the earliest stages of it, just industrial Germany and, and the, the flocking into factories and the organization of labor that way. I mean, what a profound thing. Imagine witnessing that must have really felt like living on the bleeding fucking edge of history. And what do we have now? The bleeding Another fucking edge of history edge is the most history. boring thing to look at in the world. We've been living on the bleeding edge for so goddamn long. We're sick of it. We're 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 looking at we're 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 posting about what it used to be like to watch Nerf commercials and and watch Digimon on Saturday mornings because we can't handle how far in the fucking bleeding edge of the future we're on. Because like this, you know, this is late capitalism. It's it's time to put it to bed or it will be very soon. So and so I would like to finish out with answering your question a little bit more concretely with asking earlier, you know, what realistically like what does our timeline look like? So uh, in the United States, 
and other centers of capitalism, um, something is happening that you know we can we can't attest to any other period of time in history, and that is the middle class's stability is gone. Yeah. The, the the middle class, not to say again, the suburb like literally anyone who sits between ruling class and working class has disappeared. The separation between rich and poor, you know, powerful and not powerful, has hit its limits. There is no middle class, and there hasn't been for decades. And eventually, like we were talking about, those contradictions will have to be solved. They will come to a head and something will happen. There's two things that can happen. Fascism or socialism, really. Or the third option, death. But the point I'm trying to make is that like, we can work in the period of time that we're in to get organized, to build with one another, to educate ourselves, to evolve mm-hmm. and to expand. Or we cannot and watch as the United States becomes even more fascist than it's ever been, kills the entire planet, and we all fucking die. And that's the show. All right, bye, guys. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's basically it, though. That's basically it. I mean, the climate catastrophe. Next 10 years, we're really going to see that shit ramp up in a huge way. I mean, it already is. We're already Texas. seeing it now. But, like, next 10 years, it's going to be even more outrageous and... uh yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of work to do, and nobody's 100 percent sure what that work is. So um, whatever it can be, do, do whatever comes to hand. Yeah, exactly, precisely. That's the answer that I've been giving a lot of people because I have been getting folks who have reached out to me on TikTok and have been like, you know, what can I do? And you know, I don't really have an answer, but like, what do you think you can do? And that's a shit ass answer for a lot of people who like want to get involved. But I got that answer six months ago, and that answer is held true to today. You know, yeah. I can't go start a union at my job. I can't go, you know, build a co-op in the city. I can't go run for political office. I can't go do a lot of the things that I'm supposed to do, you know, or we think we're supposed to do as communists or socialists. But I can have this conversation with you. And I can read theory while I'm smoking in the bathroom. And I can (laughs) talk to I can talk to my coworker who is an, you know, this weird hippie environmentalist Republican type who like is like really he's my manager and he's like diehard, like pro work ethic and like Oh yeah. I know like one of those weird figures, you know. He's cool and I I love him dearly, but like those folks will continue to happen because nothing in the world makes sense. So just like those people don't make sense, unless we start taking the world that we live in and giving people a lens in order to make sense of that world, nothing's going to change. Joe Biden said it himself. And, you know, who's who's more perfect to say it than the most corporate elitist racist sexual predator that this you know <laughs> yeah. country has really ever seen one of the most uh you know the epitome of white supremacism and american rule uh joe biden it, nothing is going to fundamentally change and nothing will fundamentally change until you know each one of us one by two by three in our own ways and the you know the best that we can begin to change it ourselves yeah Definitely. But we gotta we gotta build solidarity in a way that I don't think we are. Like I I know it's like a meme at this point, but fuck that infighting shit on Facebook. Like that's useless as fuck on Twitter, on Instagram, anywhere. Like that stuff is such bullshit. And it really frustrates me because as someone who like doesn't have an outlet to get involved with organizing or like get involved with on the grounds practice, like these are the spheres that I have. And so to see that go into wasteful arguments about whether or not Joseph Stalin himself killed 50 million people, like what the oh fuck? Oh my are God, we I know. About? It's so fucking boring. And like the, the groups where it's like, you're an anarchy, you're a status tanky. It's like, uh, why don't you just shut the fuck up? Why don't you just go watch <laughs> old episodes of Freaks and Geeks or something? Look at, <laughs> look at, look at, uh, John, what's his name? John Daly, I think. Look how small he is. Were his lips always that red? Like, that's, you know, that's that's my response. Like, when people start getting in that bullshit. Like, you live in the United States, probably. Or, you know, whatever. You live in modern-day UK, 
Australia, whatever. Like you live in a fascist country. I don't care. Like we, we, you know, we're making fun of trots or whatever. Like a lot of them are well-intentioned shit. They're better than liberals. I'm way happier to hang out with a fucking trot than a fucking Democrat. And he got day, damn day of the week, you know? So like, damn. Yeah. Just, just get over yourselves. Just, just fucking get over yourselves because you know, what is to be done is the question on everybody's minds. And Lennon had an answer a long time ago, but we're going to have to come up with one for our own selves now. So fucking, you know, get to it. Homework ain't going to do itself. Yeah. And we ought to do it together because I think there's a lot of fears that exist that we can come together and we can build not that leftist unity that we often see mocked, but like true solidarity and like true revolutionaries throughout our times and throughout history have called for that and needed that because that's how communism becomes a necessity is by all of us standing up together against capitalism and saying human beings deserve dignity and we need communism and we can only do that together. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, uh, do you have anything else to say before we wrap up the show, my friend? No, that's pretty much it. Uh, check out my videos on my YouTube channel. I post them under my full name, which is John Paul Zigderman, Zigderman with a Z. That's it. Fuck, fuck yeah. <laughs> yep. Just with a Z. Figure it out, guys. Yeah. You, you'll um, get it. <laughs> thanks for coming on, John. I always love talking to you. Um, yeah. It's a good time. Uh, for those of you still listening, I appreciate it. Go ahead and check out my social media. Uh, hit me up there. And uh, like John said, and like I said, you know, let's let's do our homework and let's start uh, trying to work towards actually trying to build what the fuck we're talking about. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, bye now. Okay, bye. <laughs>